Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com. Good morning, Missio Day. It's good to be back and uh, tell you, my heart is full. You know, the last time I spoke here, we uh, spoke about refugee ministry. And you guys, you guys didn't waste time at all. You went out and greeted uh, two Afghan families, you know, provide a welcome pack. And then just spoke with Sister Morgan, who's spending time with a, an Afghan family. I mean, that, that takes sacrifice. But you're welcoming the stranger. And when you're welcoming the stranger, as you know, you're welcoming Jesus. So my heart's full. Uh, but let's, let's pray uh, for uh, the uh, teaching of his word today. Heavenly Father, fill us all with your Holy Spirit today. Fill us as we come thirsty as we are. Fill us with nothing, nothing but yourself. And I pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth, Lord, be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our God, our Redeemer, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you to Chris and Tiana, uh, the leadership team, for, for having me today and I always, wherever I go, I always try to bring one of our church members along with, and certainly today I've got one of my biggest fans, uh, <laughs> Constance. Constance, who is Tiana's mom, is with me today, and that's what gets me through. So let's get this going. Uh, Brother Chris already read from, from John. You see it there. Uh, we can go to the, the, the first slide in John. You see the four verses there. Jesus is, is speaking here. This is going to be just a massive word study today. And the words that you see in yellow are the, the key words uh, in these passages. Jesus is speaking on the last and greatest day, which is the eighth day of what they, the Jews called the Festival of, of Tabernacles. It's the, the longest festival. Uh, of the Jewish year. It lasts seven days, okay? And this is the eighth day. This feast followed the Jewish New Year and the Day of Atonement, what they, they call Yom Kippur in Leviticus 23 and Deuteronomy 16. It was a celebration of God's gracious provision for the Jews, for the Israelites, in the wilderness and the completion of the year's harvest, as you may recall. They spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. 40 years, okay, for their paying the price for their disobedience and their lack of faith. Well, in verse 2, John refers to this festival as the Feast of Booths because they would construct, they would build, they, they would live in these leafy booths or shelters to remind themselves of God's faithfulness to Israel during those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And if I had the, the, the vision, I'd put a, uh, some photos up here of what those booths look like. because they're, they're leafy shelters that they lived in. And there was a ceremonial water drawing 
ceremony to commemorate God's provision of water. This thing, and I've been, I've been over there to, to Israel uh, back in, in 2017. And you get out there, and, and Daniel, you know, <laughs> being from Nigeria, I mean, 95 degrees is 95 degrees. You cannot hide from the heat, okay? And this is desert. This is desert, okay? And God provided water. That's major, okay? And so this ceremony of water drawing reminds them of God's provision. And during the water drawing ceremony, the priests would draw water from the pool of Siloam in Jerusalem and lead a procession to the temple, up to the, to the Jerusalem temple, where they would pour out the water at the altar. There's a lot of lessons there, but that's not the lesson today. The priests poured water at the altar to signify the biblical promise that in the time of restoration, that rivers of living water would flow from this temple. Okay, and this promise was supported from scriptures, and it would be read on the last day of this festival. They, they would read Ezekiel 47 about the rivers of water flowing from the temple, and Zechariah 14 about the waters flowing from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. So this offering of water memorialized God's provision for the thirsty people in the wilderness, in the Judean wilderness, the desert. But that water only quenched their physical thirst temporarily. Okay? Jesus took this opportunity on the last day of this feast to make a public announcement concerning himself and his claims. He stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Okay, that first word, that first word study, the word thirst, in the Greek, dipseo, means to thirst after in your spirit, to desire or to long for something or someone ardently. Okay? Zealously long for something. That's what that, that word thirst means. And then Jesus appeals to the individual. He says, whoever, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Okay? Jesus was now requiring an individual response of faith, putting the burden on the individual, rather than merely going through this ritual, like that water-drawing ceremony. Second word, the word believe. In the Greek, pisteo, it means to entrust, to commit to the charge or the power of. It's like signing a power of attorney to give your life over to somebody else to care for you. Okay, that's what that word pisteo or believes means. It means to believe in him, to enter into a trusting, ongoing personal relationship with Jesus. And both the image of coming to Jesus as you would come to another person and the image of drinking, it means more than just having a head knowledge that Jesus existed as some historical person, okay? But it's a wholehearted personal involvement. It's participating in a personal relationship. And J James 2.19 says, you say you have faith if you believe that there's one God? Well, good for you. But even the demons believe that there's only one God. 
and they tremble in terror. Okay? I, I, this is where I love to tell the story of a guy by the name of Charles Blondin. He pushed a wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls. Who's been to Niagara Falls or who's seen Niagara Falls? It's big. Okay? Well, this guy pushed a wheelbarrow across the falls to show the difference between head knowledge faith and that of true faith that puts himself on the line. He walked 160 feet above the Niagara Falls several times back and forth between Canada and the U.S. as huge crowds on both sides of the countries would look on with shock and awe. And once he crossed in a sack, once he crossed on stilts, another time on a bicycle. And once he even carried a stove and cooked an omelet. <laughs> so, I know, this is hard to believe. But on July 15, 1859, Charles Blondin backwards walked across the tightrope to Canada and returned pushing a wheelbarrow. Okay? It was after pushing this wheelbarrow across the blind side, blindfolded on top of that, that he asked for some audience participation. You can see this coming. The crowds watched him and they, ooh, ah, okay? He had proven that he could do it, that there was no doubt that he could do it. But now he was asking for a volunteer to get into the wheelbarrow and take the ride with him across the falls. Sister Constance, would you get in that wheelbarrow? Probably not. Okay? <laughs> it is said that he asked his audience, do you believe I can carry a person across this wheelbarrow? Of course, the crowd had said, yes. They just shouted, yes, yes, yes. They believed. It was then that Blondin posed the question, who will get in this wheelbarrow? You think any hands went up? No, of course not. Who is willing to get in that wheelbarrow and let Jesus drive your life? Amen. That's, that's what it means to believe. Okay, Staking your life into something, to someone that you really believe in. Okay, Jesus repeated dramatically this message he had given to the Samaritan woman. He's basically, he's basically, and I should have, sorry, I should have put this, these slides up. He's basically repeating the same message here that he repeated, that he talked about with the Samaritan woman. You guys remember in, in John chapter 4, he crosses over into Samaritan territory, which was a no-no, for a Jew, and then for a man to talk to a woman, Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman, a double no-no. But anyways, he talks to her, okay? Spends time with her. And he makes clear that coming to him meant believing in him. In John 14, he answered her when, when you know, he's, try, he's thirsty too because Jesus was thirsty. He asked for water. And this is Jacob's well, and a Samaritan, wo a Samaritan woman's looking at him like, you know, you have a bucket? This well's deep. You have a bucket to draw this from? And he, uh, he answered her. He said in John 14, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Amen. Living water. The woman heard Jesus' words but missed his meaning. 
living water meant to her fresh spring water at this well supply, okay? She could not understand how he could provide this water without having a bucket or something to get this water out from the well, which was over 100 feet deep. Jesus then makes the spiritual connection for her, as he does for so many of us. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is when we know eternal life is not earned. It's a gift that we can't earn. Jesus himself is a gift to us from God. And he's the living water that quenches our thirst forever. And our heart's deepest longings that go beyond Beyond earthly relationships. Think of the best relationship that you've got on this earth. The one that you're closest to. Jesus is a hundred times better than that relationship. And John 7, 38, there. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, here Jesus is making the connection between the Old Testament era of the Ten Commandments, the laws, and they had hundreds of laws that nobody could keep up, right? And he's making the connection with the prophets and the New Testament promise of the Holy Spirit. I love this. Jesus fulfills both the law and the prophets. And even some Jews, even some Jews who were not among the disciples referred to Jesus as the prophet. And this promise was actually made all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, when Moses promised that God would send them a prophet. And this prophet would appear who would command the attention of the people and who would bring them a further revelation from God. And on the connection between living waters and the Spirit, while there's not an exact quotation here from the Old Testament, there are several Old Testament passages that connect with water and the end-time gift of the Holy Spirit. You can read in Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, when the prophet said, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put the spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Well, this, this inward work of God is the essence of the new covenant, the new covenant era. This is only possible by Jesus dying on the cross and being raised from the dead, okay? And that last word, glorified, is a major word in the Gospel of John. John would use that word 22 more times, okay? And in this particular context, he's talking about Jesus' death on the cross, which despite all appearances would be the entrance of glory for him. All right? Now the word rivers there, the word rivers, living water, rivers of living water flowing out of you, implies there's great abundance of this 
okay? There's no shortage of this living water, okay? And it benefits not only us who are believers, it benefits anyone around us. Anyone who comes into contact with us can have this water. And we can provide this water to them. All right? Jesus identifies this living water as the Holy Spirit living in our hearts. And when we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, turn back from the life we we once knew. He comes to live in us through the Holy Spirit. And our deepest spiritual longings to know God personally will be forever satisfied. Forever. Okay? When the Holy Spirit came and filled the followers of Jesus, the disciples on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, it was a complete fulfillment of the Old Testament promise concerning the new covenant and the future messianic age of blessing. Blessing. Okay? And get this. Once we're we're baptized into the body of Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, whether we be whites or blacks, Asians or Hispanics, mixed, American Indian, whatever. We've all been made to drink into one Holy Spirit. How cool is that? And the Holy Spirit seals us, seals us until the day of redemption. And what does a life filled by the Holy Spirit look like? I'm glad you asked because it gets, gets us to the next, next slide. Okay. And Brother Chris read the next slide, so I, I won't bother reading it. Uh, we can move to the next slide, which is in Ephesians 5, 17 to 19. Now, anytime you see the word therefore, and I should have highlighted that, anytime you see the word therefore in the scriptures, you have to ask, well, what's that therefore? Therefore? Okay. Why is it there? Okay. He says, therefore, do not be foolish. Usually, it's a continuation of what was said immediately before that word. And immediately before he said, therefore, he said, look, I'm I'm reading now from verses 15 to 16. Paul says, look carefully then as you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Okay? And the apostle Paul is encouraging all of us to actively take advantage of every opportunity to do good, especially to those of the household of faith. And even those who are outside of the household of faith, we look for every opportunity to do good, just like those those refugees that you're helping out. So we must walk in wisdom in an evil age by reflecting on God's Word and discerning His holy will. And when I say discerning God's holy will, I don't mean for us to try to discern what his secret counsel or his secret hidden will is. That's not our job. That's only known to him. Most of the time, we fail to apply God's general guidelines for our lives in the scriptures as they're plainly revealed. Okay? They're they're, they're like over a dozen places, dozens and dozens of places where God's revealed will is is clearly shown to us in the scriptures. Why does it require, you know, why does the Lord require you to do, you know, to do justly, to walk, you know, to walk humbly before your God, to seek mercy? You know, those things we, we don't do. We're spending our time, spending our wills trying to look for a secret hidden will. 
Okay? That's not what we're called to do. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. He's talking about His Word, that we may do all the words of this law. Now the word foolish in verse 17, the word foolish, it's a stronger word than just unwise. Okay? It alludes to stupid, imprudence, senseless, Folly in action. That's what that word means. And I've been there. Trust me. Okay? I've done some foolish, stupid, brainless things. Trust me. I have. Okay? And he says, don't be foolish. The opposite of being foolish is to understand and obey the Lord's revealed will. And in Ephesians, it's not about getting personal guidance for, you know, where you where you will live or who you will, you know, hang out with. It's about God's saving plan to unify all things and everybody under the headship of Christ and our behavior in light of this vision of God's redemption for the world. And then he goes on, he says, Do not get drunk with wine, verse 18, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I'll never forget I led a, a prayer meeting um, you know, over at Uptown, somebody just asked me, you know, what does that word debauchery mean? I didn't study at the time. I just said it meant debauchery. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll explain what debauchery means. Okay, it's no secret that wine was the drink of choice in the Roman world, all right? In that, in that world. They drank wine like it was water. You know, eight glasses of water a day they recommend us to drink. Well, the Romans... And the Mediterranean world, they, ate, they drank eight glasses of wine a day, okay? That was the drink of choice to quench their thirst, all right? And it was a serious temptation to the followers of Christ, and that's why he put it there. Well, Paul is warning us against the folly of overindulgence and strong drink. Let me, uh, let me just step into this one, all right? This is not a prohibition. He didn't prohibit people from drinking wine. That's not what this is about. So sometimes we just make up rules and we just write it like it's holy scripture. And it's not, Paul did not forbid people to drink wine. That's not what this is. He said that when a person is under the influence of wine, it could lead to destructive behavior because wine can control our minds and ruin any sense of judgment leading to debauchery. Okay, here is what debauchery means. It means the type of wild living that like the prodigal son got involved with. Okay, and if you read Luke 15, back to the story of the prodigal son, you knew that he squandered all of his money and he gave in to his physical appetites. That's what debauchery means. Okay, Christians will avoid all such excess. So instead, Paul urges the Ephesians and us to live lives full of the Spirit in order to be effective witnesses of the gospel in our communities, in our families, and everybody around us. The Greek command for filling there, the, word, the Greek word is pleruste, pleruste, okay? It's a present imperative verb. It doesn't mean a one-time filling of the Spirit and you're done. 
That's not what that means, this Greek word means. It means being continually filled. It means it's a, it's a regular pattern of your life to be filled with the Spirit. And the outcome of being filled with the, of the Spirit is described actually in verses 19 to 20. It's got four imperatives. Imperatives. Each of these expressions of the Spirit's fullness has to do with praise. Think about it. Okay? Address Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual song, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Okay? The verb to speak is not confined to just normal conversation that we have with one another. It, cover, it covers anything that comes out of our mouths. Perfectly applicable to psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Communication has to be with one another. Okay? When, when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, the singing and the making melody comes from the presence of the Lord that fills our hearts and lives as believers. It should lead us to be inspiring, to be aspirational, to be encouraging, to manifest joy regardless of the circumstances, to be grateful at all times, uh, under all circumstances. Paul, most of his time, was in a jail cell writing these letters. Okay, it's a manifest, manifestation of peace and joy that the world should be able to sense and see and are attracted to worship with us. Okay, and the only way that we'll be able to attract others to worship Jesus with us is to remain completely connected to, to Him. If you can go back to, to one slide as I wrap this up, remember our beginning verse in John 7, 38. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. We measure the significance of our lives, saints, not by the worldly standard of success. Okay? That's not how we measure success. We measure it only by what God pours through us when we completely abandon ourselves to him. Reckless abandonment to God. When we have received His fullness, out of this will flow the rivers that will bless to the ends of the earth. Okay? I've, I, I said back in 2017, I got to go to Israel. One of the, one of the greatest spots was the Dead Sea. Okay? I got, I got to just float, walk in and just float in the Dead Sea. It's at the Dead Sea that the upper Jordan River, this is another map that I should have put up, the Upper Jordan River, the Sea of Galilee, the Lower Jordan River, all of that, that water system comes to an end at the Dead Sea. Just flows north to south, and boom, you get the Dead Sea that has no, no outlets. Nothing escapes. No water escapes from the Dead Sea. It is there. Okay? The Jordan River is the only major water source flowing into the Dead Sea. The modern Hebrew name for the lake for the lake is the sea of salt, and it's here that everything comes to die. There's no fish, no wildlife there. Every, it's just pure salt. That's why they call it a sea of salt, and you float on it, okay? We are not called to be the Dead Sea, okay? We're, we, just, we just take everything in. You take in the word, you take in the worship, you take in the fellowship of the saints here, Missio Day, and we just keep it to ourselves. That's not what we're called to do. 
So, on the contrary, we are called to be being filled as we allow the sweetness of our relationship with Jesus, the sweetness of our fellowship with one another, just flow out of us. Flow out of us in a life of, of service. And if our lives are not flowing out as it should, then we need to ask ourselves today, Lord, what is obstructing the flow of your Spirit in my life? What is obstructing it? Okay, and the answer will likely is because we've lost connection to our water source somewhere. Or we're not rightly related to the Lord Jesus somewhere. Maybe there's something there. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it. Reveal that block. And He will. Okay? And I, I will close with this quote from Oswald Sanders. He says, The river of the Spirit of God overcomes all obstacles. Never get your eyes on the obstacle or on the difficulty. The obstacle is a matter of indifference to the river, which will flow steadily through you if you remember to keep right at the source. Never allow anyone or anything to come between yourself and Jesus Christ. Don't allow any emotions. Don't allow any experience. Nothing must keep you from, the, from your great sovereign source of life. Think of the healing and far-flung rivers nursing themselves in our souls. God has been opening up marvelous truths to our minds, and every point that He has opened up is an indication of the wider power of the river. He will flow through us. And if you believe in Jesus, you will find that God has nourished you mighty torrents so that you can be a blessing for others. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as He makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com.